Well, I have to say it's been a pleasure to do a mission here at St. John's, and when Father Pete and I spoke about doing a mission, we didn't really plan when we were going to be able to do it. Father Pete went to the calendar and said, these days work, and I looked at my calendar and said, those days work for me as well. And by the grace of God, and by actual grace, we chose a retreat time when the readings were all about the retreat that I gave you, the mission I gave you, especially the first reading tonight from the Acts of the Apostles. I loved it because St. Paul goes into the city of Athens and he sees that the people are very religious. And I have to be honest with you, I felt the same experience Sunday when I celebrated Mass here, that the people of St. John's are a deeply religious people. And I love it because St. Paul noticed on the inscription on the stone, we worship an unknown God. And then Paul recognized that his task, as I believe my task was for a few days, was to help reveal that unknown God to the people who were very religious. And that revelation of an unknown God is grace. And hopefully what you took from these last few days was a real belief that God is not invisible any longer, that God is real, that he is real in the breath of the people around you, that he meant it when he said, I breathed my life into the mud of the earth and formed into those people my people, a people of my own. I really believe in the sanctifying grace that is indwelling in every human being. And I also think all of us know how invisible it is at times because of the darkness of sin, how sin clouds that grace from the world. Our sin robs the people in our life of the sanctifying breath of God that we are challenged to live every day. And your sin robs all of us of the breath of God within you. And so hopefully from a parish mission, we are compelled to step away from sin. We recognize the beauty of this Lenten season that we finished and the hope that comes with reconciliation, that somehow we will be rebaptized in the Spirit of God so that we can be living in a state of grace so that the people that encounter us can see the face of God, that God no longer need be hidden because we can recognize God in each other. And what a world that would be, wouldn't it? If it wasn't clouded by the darkness of sin. If we weren't people that disobeyed and wanted that stupid apple just because God said don't eat it. And so in our lives, I hope that we're conscious now every moment that we have an obligation to reveal the hidden God that we worship through our own life, through the sanctifying breath of God that indwells in each of us. I hope also that you are laying on the lawn once in a while and recognizing the actual grace that is so present in the world that so often we're just too busy to see, that we take for granted because of our busy life, when we're so busy about other things, and what we fail to recognize is the indwelling of God in every moment of our lives. As St. Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. And when we begin to see that, we will see moments of actual grace that are transformative in our life. 
I was driving in tonight and I thought, no wonder the Indians called the Bighorns the Shining Mountains. The sun was just shining on that snow up there. And it was a moment of actual grace. And we all can have those moments because God is present in the world around us. St. Teresa of Avila says that there are interior castles with every, in every human being. And the first of the interior castles is the world of nature. And how lucky you are in Buffalo, Wyoming at the foot of the Bighorns to be able to drive one mile or even to step in your backyard and see the actual grace of nature in the deer that eat your flowers, in the green meadows, and the shining mountains. Never take it for granted. Never be in such a hurry in your life that you fail to see the sunset or appreciate the sunrise. And when life is really difficult, when you're struggling or suffering, take advantage of the beauty of this place, for it contains within it actual grace. And finally tonight, the sacramental grace that we are promised as Catholics, don't take it for granted. I really believe that Catholics sometimes are a little careless in what they have and how they embrace the treasure of the sacraments. How often do we fail to realize that in our baptism, God not only breathed his life into us, he called us his own children. He adopted us into his own family. And baptism not only gives us a place to live out our life, it also gives us a context in which we can live every moment of our life. And we call that the church. I mentioned last night that there are not just seven sacraments. And this is Catholic teaching, by the way. There are actually eight sacraments. Did you know that? And the very first sacrament of, the, of our faith is the church. Recall for yourself for a moment what the church teaches a sacrament is. An outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. The church is the most perfect sign of God with us. In the church, God reveals the mystery of all the grace that is available to us, not only in the sacramental life of the church, but in the people of God that he has called his own. We know from our own baptisms that when our parents and godparents spoke on our behalf, or if we were baptized as an adult, we said yes. We were saying, I understand that I am now a part of the body of Christ. I am not living a spiritual journey all on my own. I am not walking a walk all by myself. But I have made a commitment to belong to a group of people that contain within them sanctifying grace, actual grace, and sacramental grace. That carries with it a tremendous obligation that we have a responsibility for each other. I learned in the homeless shelter that the homeless people were a part of the body of Christ just as you and I are. And what a challenge it was to begin to recognize my obligation to them not necessarily to hand them a dollar on the street, but to love them. Many people ask me in my ministry to the homeless, what am I supposed to do with homeless people on the street? How am I supposed to treat them? What am I supposed to do to alleviate their pain? And I always tell them this, 
the most important thing you can do for the homeless or for someone in need or for the elderly or the sick or the divorced or the prostitutes is to get to know their name. Did you know in our baptism we were given a name? Our name identifies us as members of the body of Christ. And I really believe the great act of love that we are called to show to all people is to introduce ourselves to them. How many times do we pass by a homeless person because they make us uncomfortable or because we don't know what to do to help them or a person in pain or a person sitting in church next to us? And the most important thing we need to do as baptized Christians in the sacramental life of the church is to say, good morning, my name is Father Greg, what's yours? And the moment we do that, we open for ourselves a relationship. And as I said in my talk a couple nights ago, night will end and day will begin when we make a friend with the person sitting next to us. And what the homeless and the poor, the divorced and the lonely, the sinners among us need more than anything else in the world is a friend. And that, I believe, is what it means to be a church, that we be friends with each other, that we welcome the strangers, that we embrace everyone who prays with us, and that we recognize that we are no strangers to one another. We are not aliens any longer, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And trust me, when we can begin to live our life that way, we make the investment that God demands of us, and we become the living body of Christ. You see, I don't think church is this stale entity, something we have to do on Sunday mornings. I believe church is a vibrant, living entity that has a life all of its own. And when we plug ourselves in, when we invest in the life of the church, we become alive as people. So many times people tell me it's so boring to go to Mass. I don't want to get invested in church. I don't want to stay till the end of Mass. I don't really want to be a part of the church. And what I believe that happens is it's a death sentence to them. Because the minute we cut ourselves off from that living reality of the church and the sacramental life of the church, we are left to our own means and accord. We have to depend completely on our ability to see those moments of actual grace. We no longer find the freedom to live out our own sanctifying grace. And we rob ourselves and our children from the life-giving sacraments of the church, which are a definite source of grace every single time we receive them, even when we don't believe in them. Did you know that? That even if you have a hard time going to confession or understanding the anointing of the sick or coming to communion because you have doubts, the grace is still there. It still changes you. It still has an effect on you. It still is a divine influence on the heart. So I hope that you begin to recognize that every time you receive a sacrament in the church or if you are lucky enough to be married, you recognize that in your partner and your spouse. And if, by the grace of God, you have a young man in your family that wants to be ordained, remember that by their ordination, they become vessels of grace.
to the whole community. It's no accident you call Father Pete Father, because he is the father of this spiritual family. The life of the church depends on his leadership. Finally, in the gospel today, we hear again about the great advocate that is coming to us Sunday, I believe. Pentecost Sunday? Next. Next Sunday. In just two weeks, you celebrate Pentecost, the birthday of the church. And the church is born out of grace. It's an outward sign given to us by Christ to bring us grace. And it is born in the spirit of truth, as we hear in the gospel tonight. You know, I told you last night or the night before, we live in a world with an awful lot of fake news, don't we? And I believe the desire of every human heart is to know what is true and to have a sense of the truth. Well, the truth is always written in the natural world. And our church has a wonderful way of revealing that to us. The sun always comes up in the east. It doesn't matter if CNN disagrees or Fox News or Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. The sun is going to come up in the east. That is truth. And there are truths out there that are available to all of us. Every moment, if we allow the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit to guide us through this very twisted and confusing world. Every moment that you're struggling in life with confusion or wondering what's true, ask for one of the gifts. Last night I didn't mention this, but you know, they don't go in the order I told you they go in. You need different gifts at different times in your life. But they're there for us to take advantage of so that we can discover the truth, the truth of our life, the truth of our friend's life, our family's life, and the truth of God's will on this great journey of life. If you need knowledge, seek knowledge. Read the Catechism. Study the teachings of the Holy Father. Google the teachings of the church. If you don't understand it, seek counsel with Father Pete and go and find how to understand the knowledge of the church. And then you will begin to be wise just through living your faith day after day after day. As you grow old on the journey, wisdom becomes yours. It's a great gift. And then share that wisdom. You know, people ask me all the time, what do I do to get my children to go to church? And you know what I always believe is you have to tell the story of your own faith. Do you know what the gift of elderly people is? They ought to be the best storytellers in the world because they have the best stories to tell. Grandma and Grandpa, sit down and tell the stories of your life in faith. Why do you go to church every Sunday? What do you find in your faith? How has God revealed himself to you? Tell the young generation the story of our faith because when we know the story, we fall in love with it. I really believe that the mistake parents make is they pound their kids on the back of the head and say, you got to go to Mass on Sunday. It's a sin if you don't. And our children are going to themselves, why? Why do I have to be there? What's in it for me? If we could become better storytellers, using our knowledge and our understanding and our wisdom, our children would make the right choices they would have the gift of the Holy Spirit, of right judgment. Now, it takes courage to do that. 
It takes courage to live the story, and it takes courage to be faithful to the truth. So pray for the courage to do it. And then every day will be incredible. You will wake up and you will have a sense of awe and wonder. Ah, I wonder what today will bring. And when you can begin to live that way, seeing sanctifying grace, actual grace, sacramental grace, and those seven beautiful gifts, you will fall on your knees in reverence, for you will recognize the um, God that the people of Athens were worshiping, a sometimes hidden God, a God that does not always reveal himself in a clear way, a God shrouded in mystery who gently influences our heart with grace and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I hope that this few days together, you have a new understanding of grace and a deep desire in your heart for seven amazing gifts that you can call on each moment of your life. And finally, tonight I want to tell you about what I believe is the greatest gift of our life, the Eucharist, the divine bread, the bread that feeds us and nourishes us, the source and summit of our faith, and the mystery of God revealed in a very real and simple way. I oftentimes think about Jesus and those 12 apostles, you know, these big burly fishermen. And they were really sad when he said, I'm going to ascend into heaven and I'm going to leave you. And I think Jesus was not a great theologian. I don't think he was nearly as smart as Father Pete. I think that Jesus was a simple guy. It's still 50%. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice to him so he gives me the whole basket. I think Jesus was such a simple man that he sat there at a fire on the Sea of Galilee and those last nights with his apostles, and he looked at those big burly fishermen, and they were probably in tears when he said, I'm going to be leaving you. And he thought, now how in the world am I going to remain with them until the end of time? And he took a piece of bread and he broke it, and I think Jesus had divine insight, and he thought, you know, fishermen always get hungry. They're going to have to eat. They're going to be hungry for something. I'm going to become their bread. And when they eat that bread, they will remember me, and I will be with them and feed them and nurture them and give them life until the end of time. What a wonderful and powerfully simple theology. Jesus is our bread. Long ago, long, long time ago, way before the advent of telephones and electricity and all the modern conveniences that makes the world so small, there was a tiny, tiny village hidden deep in the mountains, and the people of that village seldom had any contact with outside people. And when that happens, when they live so isolated, they began to tell stories that were shrouded in mystery, fables about life that didn't really have any um, truth to them, but were important to them. One day, a little girl walked into that town. She had been lost in the mountains for many weeks, and she wandered into this little village, and she was hungry and lonely and lost. And when she walked into the town square, she smiled to herself because there in the town square was a beautiful fresh baked loaf of bread sitting on a pedestal. 
She walked up to the bread and thought, what a hospitable town, that they set out bread for the strangers. And she was about to take the bread when the elders of the community walked out and said, don't touch the bread. It's dangerous bread. And the girl said, but it's freshly baked. It looks delicious. And they said, but it's dangerous bread. And so the little girl said, why is it dangerous bread? And the elders of the community said, because if you eat that bread, you will become a slave. And she shook her head. And then the elders said, and not only will you become a slave, if you eat that bread, you will disappear. And she just shook her head. And then they said, and if you eat that bread, you will die. Well, the girl was afraid of the bread, for it was dangerous bread, and she didn't eat it. The next day she came back, and there was another fresh loaf of bread in the basket in the pedestal, and she was even more hungry. And she looked at the bread, and she thought, they're just silly elderly people. They don't know what they're talking about, and I'm hungry. So she went over, and she broke off a big chunk, and she ate the dangerous bread. Nothing happened. The next day she went out, and another fresh loaf of bread was on the pedestal, and she was still hungry, so she ate it as well. And the elders just hid in their doorways and shut their shutters, afraid for what would happen. The little girl ate the dangerous bread for an entire week, and then one day she walked out, she saw another fresh loaf of bread, and she picked it up, and just about the time she was going to eat it, she looked across the street and saw a little orphan boy who was hungry, and she took the bread and fed the orphan. And then she noticed another child who was standing in the corner, and he was hungry too, and she shared the bread with him. And the next day, she went out and took the loaf of bread, and she became a slave to the hungry people of the town. And she began to feed every person that was hungry for food. And every day, day after day, she went out and took that freshly baked bread, and she shared it with the poor and the hungry of that village until she was an absolute slave to feeding the hungry. And then one day, she began to save the bread. And she built up a huge supply of bread, and she left the village, realizing that in the villages she had passed, there were always hungry people. And so she took that dangerous bread, and she disappeared, because she began to feed the hungry people of the world. And then one day, rumor had it that this young girl had worked so hard and become a slave to the poor to such an extent that she had wandered to every village she could find and had disappeared from one village after another until finally she fell down and died of exhaustion from feeding the hungry of the world. The bread was dangerous bread. But you know what? I wasn't talking about that loaf of bread. I was talking about the bread of Jesus Christ. And that, too, is dangerous bread. The bread of the Eucharist is really dangerous bread. Because if we receive the Eucharist with faith, then what will have to happen, what we will be compelled to do, is begin to look at one another and feed the hungry of the world. Jesus did not leave himself with those 12 apostles so that they eat to their heart's content. 
He left himself as their bread so that they would feed the world. And those disciples, as we all know the story, became slaves to the Eucharist. So be careful when you come to Holy Communion. Be very, very careful. Because I do not believe that you receive the Eucharist just for the grace that it brings to you. I believe that if you have been given the gift of the Eucharist, the bread of life, if Jesus is truly a part of your very soul, you will be a slave to spreading the good news and to sharing the good news with the world. And someday you will be called on mission and you may in fact disappear from Buffalo to go out into the world, to the farthest reaches of the world, to tell those who have never heard the message of Jesus the good news of his resurrection. We live in a world that is hurting. We live in a world that is filled with terrorism. We live in a world where people tolerate hatred and prejudice and do not see the breath of God in one another. And because we have received the dangerous bread of Jesus in the Eucharist, we have to change that. That's up to us. We have no right to eat the Eucharist just for ourselves. It's dangerous. We have to become slaves to it. We have to disappear from even our families to go out and share the good news. And someday we will be asked to lay down our life for those we love. That is the secret of our faith. That is the road that Jesus walked, and that is the road of painful grace. We all will be called to give our lives for one another. So when you receive the Eucharist, be very careful. It is dangerous bread, because someday you will become a slave, Someday you will disappear to go where God is leading you, and someday you will be asked to lay down your life. For there is no greater love than that, to give your life for those you love. And I believe when we do that, we will discover grace. For those of you who took that bread, it's not really very dangerous. It's fresh bread, and it looked really good. I just hope you'll share it, okay? Ellie, I gave her the last loaf, and it's the freshest, so she has to share that. And for those of you who received the Eucharist tonight, it's dangerous, but it's beautiful, and I want to read this prayer on the Eucharist with you. He was old, tired, and sweaty, pushing his handmade cart down the alley, stopping now and then to poke around in someone else's garbage. I wanted to tell him about the Eucharist. But the look in his eyes, the despair on his face, the hopelessness at someone else's life in his cart told me to forget it. So I smiled, I said hi, and I gave him Eucharist. A woman lived alone. Her husband died, her family gone, and she talked at you, not to you. Words. Endless words spewed out. So I listened to her, and I gave her Eucharist. I laughed at myself and told myself, you with all your sin, all your selfishness, I forgave you, I accept you, I love you. 
it's nice and so necessary, too, to give yourself Eucharist. My Father, when will we learn you cannot talk Eucharist? You cannot philosophize about it. You live it. You don't dogmatize Eucharist. Sometimes you laugh it. Sometimes you cry it. Often you sing it. You see Eucharist in another's eyes. You give it in another's hand held tight. You squeeze it with an embrace. You pause Eucharist in the middle of a busy day. You speak Eucharist with a million things to do and a person who wants to talk to you. For Eucharist is as simple as being on time, as profound as sympathy. I give you my supper. I give you my sustenance. I give you my life. I give you me. I give you Eucharist. Jesus. <laughs>